On today's episode of Tapcalf Transmissions, Corey and I will continue our look at the new Jedi Order with book two of the series, Dark Tide Onslaught. Now, as a quick note, guys, before getting into the book, we do spend a bit of time today talking about the show and a few other things. I'm going to start putting timestamps down in the episode notes starting today. So if you want to skip the preamble, you can look at the timestamp and use that. Anyway, let's roll the intro. Welcome to Tapcalf Transmissions, where we are going to need a new opening tagline thing. I always used to say the thing about the line we don't say anymore, but uh, this isn't the only Star Wars podcast. We got sued. We're not allowed to put that oh, out yeah. there anymore. But yeah. I'm your host, Corey. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Mr. Justin Eckhart Slatter. How are you doing? I just can't believe George Lucas himself would come after us. Yeah, um, it's because of how much we say Mara Jade. Yeah. He won't admit it, but... Yeah, he's got a little crush on her, doesn't he? <laughs> Look, I... Do you not listen to our lawyers? Yeah, okay. I'm going to I'm gonna stop talking. Uh, yeah, welcome to Tapcalf Transmissions, guys. Uh, not the only Star Wars podcast, but definitely the best one. Uh, today, we are talking wow. the... What? You disagree? I... Look, yeah, we're going to be on a on. long call after this. <clears throat> a long call. Um... We're talking Dark Tide Onslaught, uh, going back to our boy, Mr. Mike Stackpole, uh, for one of his final times writing a Corrin Horn story, I guess? Yeah. I don't know, yeah. Because he didn't do any of the Fate of the Jedi books, um, so, yeah, this is definitely, uh, this, this one had me feeling some kind of way. But before we get into that, Mr. Corey, uh, do you have any anything you want to talk about? Any any Star Wars news? Any personal stuff? Well, we've got Lego Star Wars that came out a couple days ago, which mm. I've been enjoying, and I know you've been streaming a lot of as well. Um, yeah. Fun game. I did a lore video based on a creepy droid in the background of it, and that's doing well, so I'm happy about that. But Yeah. How are you it's enjoying funny because, Yeah, I mean, like everyone asks me, like, should I buy this game? Like, is this good? Lego Star Wars has got to be like the most honestly marketed game ever. It's like, it's Lego Star Wars. If you watch kind of the the trailers and stuff and it looks good too, you'll probably enjoy it. It's like one of the easiest games of all time. It's not difficult. It's yeah. very fun though. It's very cute. It's, um, I'm actually going to talk to, to Victor Lucas tomorrow, who's one of my big inspirations about it. So I'm very excited in that. Um, but I'm yeah, very it's, jealous it's, of that, but fine i'll i'll mention your name to him maybe we can get him on beerio cart <laughs> <laughs> should have yeah, just, just, just snuck me what in do you really do think of way. tommy tallarico <laughs> <laughs> so for anyone who doesn't know is it i guess it would have been in the states as well but electric playground yeah, yeah. was like a video game review show or reviews on the run it was reviews on the run electric yeah. playground was more of a general tech but also video game focus mm -hmm. but uh, on the old g4 network along with like x-play yeah. attack of the show all those things <clears throat> yeah because i do think that um reviews on the run did kind of air in america as well mm -hmm. um we also had like there were a bunch of he had like ep daily here he also owned like i think it was called greedy productions which yeah. uh produced a lot of the the g4 tech tv uh stuff in canada which for me is like it's very it's that's a show that's very very uh 
like all of those that era of programming is very nostalgic for me so yeah that was every day after school i'd just sit down and watch mm-hmm. some g4 show whatever was on when i got home until like six mm-hmm. hours apparently that i'm just reading this now and we'll move on in a second apparently electric playground actually aired first and reviews on the run uh spun off from that because it was apparently a section on it yeah. and then yeah so that's interesting i didn't know that yeah well uh so i again i'm jealous i'm gonna try not to let that hatred come through in the video here mm-hmm. but uh anything else we should cover before hopping into uh dark tide we do have a bunch of questions from the last two episodes yeah as well to I've, get to. I've got a few programming notes um so for one, I've gotten we've gotten some good feedback on you guys seem to like the new editing style we're going for. Um, so that's great. We're still looking to get some proper intro music done up. So if you know a guy or you are a guy or gal or you know a gal as well, um, feel free to send us an email. We pay for all the work we do. Um, what else? Oh, yeah. At the end of this episode, we're going to play an artistic rendition of some of the my personal favorite reviews that we've gotten for this podcast you guys really want to stick around to that if you guys are watching this live on youtube make sure you check out the podcast as well listen to it on spotify itunes wherever else and the last thing i want to ask you guys is if you are enjoying the podcast listen we don't do this a lot but please consider leaving a like if you can leave a review like reviews on podcast platforms help a lot like if you can get if we can get if we get 10 20 30 more reviews like that has a significant effect i track all this stuff um so yeah if you guys want to support the podcast that which has what episode 103 now uh if you guys are enjoying it on your on your drive to to work or whenever else consider leaving a review it means a lot and of course um we will uh we we like to read good reviews as well like we'll read them out loud whether they're they're funny or uh yeah, good reviews or meaning just, not praising us, but entertainment yes. value. Yes, exactly. It helps. We put a lot of work into the show, even though it's it's, it's it, there's been times where it's you know my power's gone out or I have like diarrhea and I got to end the stream or end the show early <laughs> or whatever else like that. Have we talked about that, Corey? Uh, you and I talked about that. I don't think you ever admitted what the problem was on the podcast before. I think it's happened twice, like where I've had really bad stomach pains and I've just had to go. Um, yeah, there was one where you were late for an episode and told me your internet was out, and that was the main one. Yeah, you no. said later that it was, no, it, was it was not no <laughs> shitting my brains out. Maybe <laughs> well, I mean that that could have affected the internet. I don't know. Like maybe but if you are if you're having a busy day and don't think you can leave a review, if you're on your phone, you can leave mm-hmm. a review on the run. I just mm-hmm. wanted to, to bring it back. There, but I'd really like to set up a phone line so we could take like. Uh, I, I've heard other podcasts do that. They just like play uh, viewer call-ins during intermissions or like at the end of the show. That would be really fun. Also, guys, as we continue to kind of develop our new, like I'd like to get some more segments and stuff put in. It'd be nice if we had like a standard question we asked a, a new guest every time. So if there is an, a show idea that you guys do have or some way that we could improve, please let us know. Um, Regarding next week, we, we're not exactly sure what we're going to do. Um, we may do another uh, Halo thing if you guys want. Uh, we may do kind of a shorter story, probably not another book. But uh, follow us on Twitter as well because we'll we'll keep you guys up to date on that. 
Yeah, so there is a question in chat of which platform do we want the reviews on. Basically, any platform you use that you want to leave a review on, any of them help. Mm-hmm. Should we should we also talk about what happened on Spotify, just very briefly? Bro, uh, you have more information on this than I would because you actually dealt with it. But there were a few uh, reports for anyone who mostly listens yeah. on Spotify and went to a different platform for this week because we were gone for a few days. Uh, mm-hmm. We were taken off briefly. There was a, some technical issues with, I think, the RSS feed. Uh, but Justin has yeah. dealt with them and gotten us reinstated, so mm-hmm. we should be back on Spotify now. Yeah, it was really weird. Is like one of the the fields kind of just changed or something. It, it might have happened when I was doing some other stuff, but um, I was actually surprised. Spot, I thought it was going to be like a day or two thing where like it took some time to fix, but Spotify was actually really quick on uh, on fixing it. So thank you, Spotify. Um, I think Spotify's actually surpassed iTunes or whatever the Apple podcast player is as the, as the uh, platform where most people listen to the, the podcast now, which I thought was kind of interesting other than, I guess YouTube gets a lot, but yeah, I was Spotify is where you guys are. So I was interested in that. Any other news? I guess, I guess the other thing to mention too, moving away from, from our stuff, we do know that Star Wars celebration is going to open up with a big, uh, live action, um, focus on or sorry a big focus on live action stuff presumably there's going to be trailers there uh star wars celebration has kind of been tweeting things out over the 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 past few days um they also posted that there's going to be a panel all about the mando verse the past present and future it's called mando plus so i wouldn't be surprised if we kind of get a look at uh not only mando season three which is most likely coming out in december and Star Wars Celebration is May, so probably too early for a trailer, maybe a little sizzle reel, maybe something only for people in the audience, which they've done sometimes, but maybe also kind of a hint at how other shows might tie in with that. Um, so that should be interesting. Yeah. You any thoughts on that, Corey? Uh, no, I, do they do many announcements at Celebration? Like, I, I don't remember. They much. have before. Um, I'm trying to think of an announcement they've done. Like, they've used Celebration for some pretty big debuts. Like, they debuted the Episode Nine trailer there. It is the thing I'm thinking of, yeah. of most recently, including, like, the name, The Rise of Skywalker. I gotta say, that first trailer was also pretty sick. It ended with Palpatine laughing. Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, usually they do uh, new media for things we already know are coming, basically. Have mm-hmm. they ever done an announcement of something, like, entirely new there before? I I, th- I think they have, but I can't think of any examples for sure. If anyone in chat knows, or um, but yeah, I I think they have, but to be honest, I I can't think of any specifics. So it's who knows. I hope we get a good look at the Bad Batch season two. I'm in, I I expect yeah. that to be halfway through by now. <laughs> yeah, I we really haven't heard anything about it, and it's mm-hmm. getting close to Kenobi already. So. Mm-hmm. That'd be another few months where there's not going to be any bad batch. I guess it's got to be after Kenobi, but mm-hmm. we'll have to see. Yeah. It's possible it could be a two-year gap between seasons. That's not unheard of, but hopefully not. I don't think it will be, yeah. I, who, who knows, I guess. Um, oh, another thing I want to mention, too. I meant to mention this in the show notes. If you guys are tired of listening to us talk about news, because there are a couple more things I want to get to, uh, I'm going to start putting timestamps in the description. It takes a little bit longer. That's why we moved it to Monday. Um, but if you guys want to skip ahead or get right to our discussion of the book, check the description. I'm going to have timestamps uh, on the audio platforms, at least not on YouTube. Um, 
but yeah the, the other thing so i was i was kind of thinking about this and i can't remember where i got this idea from the other day i, I think somebody mentioned this if disney announced at star wars celebration that they were going to do an episode 10 to kind of supplement they they go okay we're like they basically say if we don't feel like episode 9 wrapped up the skywalker saga fully how would you feel about that would you be on board would you be totally against it or just kind of somewhere in the middle against just the idea of having another trilogy like in general no just maybe a trilogy or one more episode kind of that they basically they say episode nine wasn't the end of the the skywalker saga we're adding on to it how would you feel about that i mean i've never really cared that much about the label skywalker saga i just take that to mean that it's going to be another story about uh, presumably mm-hmm. ray uh doing yeah. something with the jedi which i think we're going to get in some form regardless mm-hmm. so i at most i'd think of that as just being like a relabeling of something that was going to be uh, maybe a show, maybe a standalone movie, or positioned as a standalone movie before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I wouldn't really have any reaction to it. I don't think other than oh cool another Star Wars movie. Like the fact that it would be classified as a a Skywalker saga thing if it happened as like Episode Ten wouldn't really change my mm-hmm. view of it. I don't think. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. Um, for me, it's like, I mean, I I think I've made this pretty clear. Um, I, I thought episode nine was a total mess. Um, like I didn't really like episode eight that much, but I at least understood what they were going for. Um, even though I didn't like some of the decisions, especially like the lore and the, the, the story decisions versus like the thematic decisions, but episode nine was kind of a mess. I feel like I like the characters enough though, that I want to see them done or I want to see them used. Like I really like Ray. I really like Finn and I really like the unambiguously gay in Lego Star Wars, the Skywalker saga. Finn and Poe. Did yeah. you see that on the front on the on the start screen, Corey? Yeah, it's so funny. But good on Lego. Uh, but like, I like the characters, so I I want to see them in more things. So if if they put out a movie that kind of I don't know somehow improved the the standing of them all, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't want to have a movie that's just like a Blue bunch of retroact. Yeah, like I, I yeah. that wouldn't appeal to me very much if it's just like. A bunch mm-hmm. of flashbacks with like, okay, here's more Snoke story. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah. Uh, here's a flashback to how Palpatine was handling his his cloning stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I think those could be individually good stories, but I don't think they, like, I, I'd be kind of disappointed if they decided what they needed to do was have a movie that went and tried to clean those up that yeah. way. Like, I, I don't think. Yeah. That... No, I, I agree. I agree. That's a good point. The final thing I wanted to mention for news this week, this is a lot more relevant to the podcast. Uh, we know the fifth uh, wave of the Essential Legends collection, which I don't think wave four is even out yet. We, we've kind of found them out quite a bit in advance, um, but we are getting uh, the Bacta War. So that's X-Wing book. That's book four, right? Uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, Kratos Trap is three. Yeah, we're getting the Back to War, uh, Revan, and the Old Republic Revan, and the Old Republic Deceived. Um, so three more books. I'm really, I've really been enjoying these Legends reprints because we're usually getting not only new softcover or hardcover books, but also new audiobooks as well. Yeah. Um, so this could be a good opportunity when that releases to talk about Revan. Uh, but if you guys are Legends fans and you want to support Legends, um, like I, I buy them because I like showing that there's a desire like i buy all these audiobooks when they come out um for one because they're they're super super well done but i also like uh showing that 
I don't know. There's support for them. Like, I think Death Troopers is coming out in August. Let's just look at the list. So that'll be probably getting an audiobook for the first time as well. Uh, Mall Shadowhunter. Some other ones, too. So good stuff. Yeah, they've gone a lot broader with uh, yeah the Legends collection than I thought they would. Like, I mm. was expecting maybe four or five books. But so far, they've done, what, the entire Thrawn trilogy, uh, mm-hmm. the entire Darth Bane trilogy, bunch of the mm-hmm. x-wing books and then which you you kind of expect those to be maybe among them uh, yeah but there's also been stuff like the darth maul books uh kenobi and death troopers are two that i really wouldn't have expected yeah me neither especially death troopers yeah um so yeah i think i think officially we've had um i think officially we've had the the third wave actually just came out uh two days ago yeah so that was the one that had Wedge's Gamble, which is definitely... I, I think we, we both rated that one pretty high among um, among the X-Wing books. That's That one's definitely one of my favorites. So if you're somebody who doesn't have time to read and you do listen to like a lot of podcasts, for example, consider picking up the audiobooks um, because it's it's that's... When I restarted YouTube, that's kind of how I got into things. Um, so... Yeah, uh... We will. We did skip the Vector Prime ranking when we were with Ilkin. Uh, oh, in yes. the future, we might just do the book rankings with the guest and get them to give a, a rough ballpark, even if they don't have other rankings to go along with it. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we've done that with Alex before uh, yeah. for at least one of the episodes with him. So we'll probably just keep those in the episodes. Uh, but there was one other question that I did want to get to from emails and from some comments uh, that's come up a couple times before we get to the discussion of the book. Uh, which is questions about spoilers, whether Mm. we're typically going to try to avoid spoilers or what our policies there are. Generally, the... We don't, like, try to go out of our way to mention plot points from the same... or from future stuff that we haven't gotten to yet. But it's really difficult to talk about uh, some of these things in the EU as a whole without having some reference to how it ties into future events. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, there's a lot with Jason here, and this is something we've talked about a lot, so it's not spoiling anything yeah. we haven't spoiled before, and how, like, Jason's fall to the dark side works, and how there's going to be a lot of talk with how the Jedi Order <clears throat> develops for the rest of the NJO and uh, what Jason kind of goes through throughout the next few series. So it... We can't really ever promise no spoilers unless we're doing a TV show situation where we mm-hmm. are doing something that's like being released now. Because a lot of mm-hmm. these books have also been out for 20, 30 years. So it, a yeah. lot of the information has kind of just moved into the public consciousness or the Star Wars fan consciousness. Yeah, especially if you watch our videos too. Like when I talk about Legends lore in Star Wars, like when I do my videos, I put no spoiler warnings at all and I talk about anything. Like yeah. I would bring up Jason being dead in a video about Courtship of Princess Leia if I thought it was relevant. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, like, like, like Corey said, we don't go out of our way to do it, but I think it's much more interesting if we look at these books holistically yeah. and look at kind of everything including the stuff that's going to come later, like Corey said. Otherwise, we're just kind of reacting to the individual book. And while there's some fun and use into that, I I think it's a lot more interesting to take things as a whole. So yeah. I think that's our... It'll be... When we finally get to Halo, it'll be interesting because 
I don't know anything. <laughs> yeah, you don't know anything, and I haven't read every Halo book either, yeah. so... Like, if we were doing just a book reactions podcast, as people who've read a lot of these books several times, I don't know mm -hmm. that we're kind of the right people to do that, yeah. but our kind of... Our niche for the two of us would be that we are pretty familiar with everything to mm -hmm. at least some extent. Like, we have a broad knowledge base, and we're able to look at some of those connections. So... Well, I do understand that that might be a bit more off-putting for some people to, like, if they're experiencing it for the first time, uh, to have those spoilers, then yeah, they're either, I, there's not much we can do other than, uh, like, try not to go too deep into certain plot points that aren't relevant, but I think it's kind of what we're doing. Kind anyways. of the name of the game. Yeah. yeah. Okay, anything else, or should we get into it uh no i think we should probably get into some onslaughting of dark tides okay so like i said this is we're back to michael stackpole and i gotta say i talked last episode about how i felt like um i guess i felt like vector prime lost like the tone that a lot of the classic star wars books had or that it was a darker tone i felt like even though in this book it's probably darker in what actually happens like this is a very brutal book by star wars standards there's torture there's enslavement there's civilians being massacred i i did feel like the tone was kind of a bit more what i was expecting and that's probably because we've got stack pulled back and he does a good job i think of writing the characters and the levity and whatever else did you kind of feel that way too or uh to an extent, like the tone is definitely matching it more, but I think the way it accomplishes that is almost by glossing over certain things that the characters might be experiencing or mm -hmm. some of the severity of how bad things are around them. Like it's definitely in the text mm -hmm. to some extent. Like they mention the dead children and everything at the end, but yeah. with like the reactions to Chewbacca's death are a lot more muted than they were even at the end of the last book. And mm -hmm. Stackpole also has the benefit of not having to deal with Han, who's in kind of the darkest place right now, because that's all handled by James. Because he's literally in, he's literally in bars drinking, very dark place. <laughs> well, that basically is what James Lucino is doing with the next duology. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So it, I think that's where a lot of the darkness comes from in even Vector Prime is from, uh, like the immediacy of Anakin's reaction to Chewie's death and Han's reaction. And when you don't have to use Han's reaction, then when mm. you're talking about the stuff that impacts the characters most directly, then you you don't have those elements, uh, even though you do have a lot of the slaughtering going on, which... Yeah, yeah, I, th I think... And there is almost a way to where, like, certain... Like, Borskvillia goes back a little bit to the comic villain role yeah. in this at the end especially and where it's like and at the beginning where it's like oh the damn leia she got me again you know what i mean um she pulling the proverbial political football away um yeah i i actually i thought that worked though for me in a way like i i did there were moments where i was like okay like for one i was thinking this whole book shit is falling apart really really quickly like the, the speed of which, like, it goes from there's one Yuzhan Vong world ship to there's thousands of enslaved people and the Vong are, like, decimating that portion yeah. of the rim. It, it, it falls apart really quickly, which is something I kind of enjoyed. Um, 
But I, I don't know. I just felt like maybe the tone was because we were getting so much really dark shit, like families dying, children dying. Um, I, I I thought it kind of worked to make it, I guess, more of what I expected from a Star Wars book, maybe. Yeah, like I, I'm kind of torn on it because on the one hand, you're right. The tone is a bit lighter, but it's partially because the characters just aren't reacting to mm-hmm. the fucked up shit going on around them. Like, yeah. you get it you get them mentioning that this thing is happening but there's nothing about yeah. like oh my god that's horrible it's just oh look at all those mangled kid bodies mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's kind of like yeah. uh episode three obviously has anakin or episode two has anakin kill all the tuscan raiders then episode three has anakin kill a room full of children off screen but it's still like we see him go mm. into the room then we see obi-wan talking about it to padme and mm. it's like Star Wars is large. Like people don't bring that up as an example of how Star Wars is super dark. Even though if you take that at face value, people would say, "Holy shit, that's pretty dark." Yeah. But it's the kind of the way it's presented and the way people react to it that really determines the tone there. Mm-hmm. Like the Nobot in uh, in Lego Star Wars or in the <laughs> in the lore is like, oh, it's this droid that had a recording of probably Murder. him murdering a pregnant lady and that comes across as super dark because there's so much focus within mm. the context of its lore on that element even mm-hmm. though it's not like objectively a darker thing than anakin mm-hmm. walking into the council chamber and killing like 13 kids it's just more kind of a gr- grounded take almost in a way yeah you you get a bit more commentary on how people are reacting to it rather than this right. is a thing that happened and how is that just functionally driving the plot forward which is more what the tone is there yeah i think that's a good way to put it um whereas like you're right you know a lot of these events would you know like i said people are murdered people are enslaved um (laughs) elgos akla is murdering hundreds of uh chazrak warriors um so it's like I, I guess if if you did want to realistically focus on, you know, all the dead family, like all the sad families and stuff, that yeah. you could make you'd make the tone very different. Yeah. And I'm not saying like it's objectively better to do it one way or the other. Just like I think that is where the difference comes in, mm-hmm. uh, because like if you want the tone to go either way, I think that can work. I think it works really well here, and I I did like the kind of uh, mm-hmm. feeling of like immediacy and unavoidable impending doom that was set mm-hmm. up in vector prime i think they both can work. yeah i do uh, like the impending doom as well and we will get more of that yeah as well it's yeah. something that we'll see change a lot with each author and how they handle those situations so i, I think mm-hmm. it's nice that we do have that variety mm-hmm. yeah um i will say too this book did a good job of managing like there are like what six or seven point of view characters on the go at once yeah uh like we get Jaina and Jay. We get Jaina and Jason are split up for a while. We get um, Leia and Danny. We get um, Gavin. We get Corin, and I think I think I'm still forgetting somebody. And I, th- I think it does a good job of kind of managing all of those without ever feeling like there's one. In a lot of the kind of expanded universe books we talk about, there's one moment or there's one storyline that just feels like way more exhausting to read through than the yeah. rest. Like this one didn't really feel like there was a a, a Lando on the um, Telzacon Vagabond, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
which I appreciated. Yeah, and they're they're all kind of exploring the same basic premise of like how how are the mm-hmm. Jedi going to react to to the war? Like, there's some element of that in all of it because there is the focus on like the corn and Ganner plot being the just that's the entire conflict within the Jedi order of Ganner side. Mm-hmm. We should be out there doing whatever we can to police the galaxy. And we have that right. We have that power versus Corrin and the older Jedi of kind of sitting back and watching more to make sure they're making the right move first, which that's going to be a theme throughout the entire uh, book series, but there's not really many other positions where, there's a whole subplot mm-hmm. that's just like one-on-one interactions between those two sides, mm-hmm. uh, like for the entire thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, none of them, I didn't really ever get to any of them and think, oh, well this, this really shouldn't be here. Like I'm Anakin and Mara, this. I forgot as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, it, it was pretty impressive. I thought it was just pretty deft handling of it all. And like, he's a, like Stackpole's obviously a, you know, well-versed Star Wars writer. Like this yeah. is not his first, his first rodeo. So I was, I was, I was, I was a little surprised he didn't do the stack pullion thing and open with Gavin in the simulator. And we don't know he's in the simulator. You know what I mean? Um, although I guess, I guess he, I he don't does. know if he actually, well, no, cause we know right away that he's in the simulator. Like, and I'm pretty sure the, I'm pretty sure that the, um shortened audiobook it's been a long time since i listened to it but i think that's the first chapter in it gavin in the simulator against the yuzhan vong um and i don't think it tells you until he, after he's vaped that it's not actually real um yeah so that's kind of what i was expecting uh the book to do yeah well one last thing on the on the subplots i think because there are so many and it's a relatively short book none of them mm-hmm. have the opportunity to drag on long enough like none mm. of the sections drag on long enough that you can get tired of them like if you think Mm. about the anakin and mara subplot which is probably in my opinion the most boring of them uh even then yeah we gotta talk about we gotta talk about mara i think mara's got some takes that i I don't know i agree with but uh the whole well we can't help the village because it's their fault they're in the valley in the first place yeah mara becomes like the fucking party of personal responsibility in this book but (laughs) i was with her like at the start because oh basically anakin is part of the things with the jedi are that there is that faction that is kind of led by kip of the jedi should be out there using their power uh solving these problems whereas luke sees a lot of danger inherent in that because for one thing they are taking away agency from other people for another, mm-hmm. like why should anyone trust them for another? Why should they trust them to not end up doing what, uh, what Anakin did before, what other dark side Jedi have done before, what gives them the mm-hmm. right to kind of just impose themselves on everyone. Yeah. Uh, so Luke and his side, it's not that they want to do nothing. It's that they're a little bit more introspective on like, what is the right role for the Jedi in the new Republic? And Anakin is a bit more gung-ho, I want to use the Force for everything. And his subplot is kind of uh, being put with Mera as a way for her to tell him to, like, kind of slow down, learn about using your own, like, building your own capabilities and see who you are outside of the Force. And there's an example that is given for how uh, the Jedi training is done. There's a, I guess it's kind of like a simulation as part of a, a test where there's a planet that has a village that's in like a floodplain and mm-hmm. 
the flooding is coming in. How do you address that? And Anakin's thing was like, okay, I go in, I saved everyone, we're all good. And Mara kind of digs deeper on that and says, well, okay, what I did was I went deeper, found out why they built that in the floodplain, and it's because of like basically housing prices. Yeah. And uh, they were kind of forced to go there, so trying to deal with the systemic issues. And I was like, okay, cool, that's great. But then she goes further with it and says, but actually, if you do anything to actively save them there, you're mm-hmm. taking away... Uh, Personal responsibility yeah, is basically the, what she says. Yeah, like yeah. it was their choice to go in the floodplain, so you're disrespecting them and not helping them at all by helping them yeah. get out of Oh, situation. yeah, it's like you're taking away their sentience. Is what, I think she yeah. says something. It's like she becomes like a conservative politician for five minutes there. Yeah, which is weird when you're starting with the premise of like, I looked at the systemic issues that forced them to do this, but also mm-hmm. it's their fault. So you can have the systemic things that are making them do that thing that ended up being harmful yeah. to them. But by addressing the issue head on right now, that's what's really disrespectful to them as people. It's like you can't yeah. put the Band-Aid solution and then also do the systemic solution. Doing any of it is just wrong. Like, no, that, that's so dumb. Yeah, I would have liked to see Anakin push back on that a little bit because he is definitely a bit of a, a free thinker. Um as is Jason, uh, it, I thought it was crazy when Mara um, told them that the Jedi are supposed to enact a flat tax across the galaxy. <laughs> no, yeah. but uh, but yeah, like there is there are parts of it. I, like I think parts of Mara's lesson I get behind. Like I I I like her point about how Anakin uses the Force too much um, for like even trivial things, and like I never personally. Uh, when reading got the feeling that using the the force for a trivial reason is necessarily a bad thing like there's a a a bit in fate of the jedi when luke is with the uh the sith and they're on a really hot planet and they're basically using the force to keep themselves cool and luke is like dying out there not actually dying but very very hot and he kind of like he kind of sees that as a bad thing and i i never really got that feeling like I, i guess it's using the force purely twisting it for personal gain but um, but I, I I did like her kind of argument about how you've got to know the limits of yourself before you augment them, um, and the book kind of plays up on that a, a lot actually. But yeah, the floodplain thing I I I don't know that situation or kind of her, her whole philosophy. I I felt like definitely had some holes in it that I would have liked to see Anakin push back on. But yeah, yeah. like they they make the comparison later of like Anakin saying, oh well. Uh, I get it now because if I'm in a bar and someone's drunk and pulls out a gun to shoot people, it's okay for me to stop them because I'm protecting them from his choice. But yeah. like the the comparison there falls apart because the premise that Mara is setting up with the systemic issues is that by removing them from the floodplain right now, exactly. it's they're only there because that was the option they had available to them when they were kind of right. forced out of other places. Maybe and, the drunk guy just lost his child to a Yuzhan Vong. Yeah. Like, and, like if they his all best drown, friend Chewbacca. <laughs> if they all drown, you're not helping them fix the, the systemic issue later. Like using a band, like it's, it's not stopping them from solving the problem later. If you say, okay, we're getting you out of the, out of the friggin' floodplain right now. Mm-hmm. Is her is her point supposed to be that oh if we let them die maybe that'll stop some other people from doing that in the future like mm-hmm. what's the what's the the positive benefit of letting them drown there 
especially mm-hmm. when you're already establishing that it wasn't purely their choice of wanting to live in a place that's going to drown them that got them put there. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, and, and I do think that the what Michael Stackpole was going for was kind of the the Jedi like aren't because he, he's kind of using it as like a commentary on the whole the main philosophical argument about the Jedi like should they be actively imposing themselves or like should they be servants of the Republic should they be servants of the Force like somewhere in between so like I I appreciate that but like you said there's there's more nuance to it the floodplain one is a perfect example that falls apart when you really look at it like they're and there is a degree of like arrogance too it's like yeah oh mara can figure this thing out that they can't but it's also just like maybe it's not about being able to figure it out or being able to make a decision it's like maybe but maybe they just can't do it on their own yeah like in the floodplain situation they're not there because they want to be there yeah there's a more interesting point that gets to i think a better uh crux of the disagreement between luke and kip's side that could have been explored there better of like do they want your help and are you imposing yourself on it yes if if it had been they don't want to move and the jedi forced them to move like everyone to move even people who wanted to stay there if it had been like some of these people they want to stay and you can either force them out or not then there'd be more of a okay well these particular mm-hmm. people made their choice they want to stay there it's not your right to go in and tell them you know what's better for them. But yeah. when they're put in that situation for circumstances that that are beyond their control and we don't have any information on what the people there's reaction to the Jedi involvement was, then I think that's ignoring what is a bigger, more important thing to make a better point that gets kind of in the direction that uh, Stackpole was probably going for. Yeah, totally agree with that. Um, yeah, and it's and it's like also sometimes the jedi do have greater insight like sometimes or at least maybe not greater insight but different insight like if if um leia in her jedi capacity which she's not quite yet is offering to help resolve disputes like that's kind of a acknowledgement that sometimes you know and like that's that was kind of the original kind of how the eu treated jedi too where with these traveling people who helped with disputes so like that's kind of recognizing that sometime Jedi do have um, a, like information or perspective that is useful that may be outside of the experience of the people they're helping. But you're, you're, I think I think what you're you're talking about is more interesting. Where it's like, are you forcing it, or is it kind of a, a natural thing? Yeah, like I think something that gets slept on a little bit by the authors is what Jason's position is relative to those more proactive Jedi, mm-hmm. uh, where Jason's conclusion is different on what his role should be in the galaxy, but his logic is the same. Because mm-hmm. for for Luke and for Corrin, it's about, and for Mara, uh, her weird turn at the end aside, it is more about like, okay, what is what is the right thing for us to do without imposing ourselves on people? And it's not mm-hmm. about what do we think is best because our conclusions trump everyone else's. Whereas for Kip and Ganner, it's we know what's best. 
We know we know what's best. We're going to go in and tell everyone else what's best and force them to do it our way, even if we don't make them understand or don't have a way to convince them that we're the right ones and have them go along with us. It's just they should go with what we say. Whereas, mm-hmm. like with Jason's position, he thinks that they should all not be involved. But when he's kind of laying out his arguments for what the Jedi's role should be or why he does or doesn't want to get involved or how much mm-hmm. they should listen to other people, he's using the same logic of, I'm going to decide internally what's right for me to do or what my responsibilities to other people are because I actually don't think I have responsibilities to other people. And I think what conclusions I draw from being connected to the Force should supersede what anyone else collectively decides mm-hmm. or individually decides. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we just never kind of get that comparison with Jason and Kib. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's a really good point. And... I, like I'm still at the point where I'm also just trying to figure out. I I think Jason's philosophy is still a little half baked. Um, yeah, where it's like it almost feels like a lot of his philosophy is just based on not being Luke. Like, mm-hmm. um, and I I hope we get. I I thought the most interesting kind of conversation about his feelings was at the end after he saves everybody or he helps yeah. save everybody from the invasion. Um, and he's kind of like, he, I believe he's having a conversation with Anakin where he's like mulling over the fact that he did save everyone, but he still doesn't feel good about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, he does. He does come around a lot more during this book, like both in mm-hmm. on Belkadan and then later on after the battle. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think, Jason has kind of accepted what everyone else has told him that like none of them feel good about it. Like Luke mm-hmm. and Corin don't do these things and then necessarily feel good about it. It's mm-hmm. that they accept it's necessary. And there there is a bit with Luke and Corin of them saying like uh the fact that they have some sort of affinity for battle does help. Mm-hmm. But like Jason seems to be thinking that when other people are doing this stuff proactively that they're getting some sort of enjoyment out of or they're sure that what they're doing is good in and of itself rather than mm-hmm. just an unnecessary evil to mm-hmm. prevent a greater evil but yeah 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 no that's a that's a i think good description of it and i i, I think people in the chat are kind of talking about jason's fears and we do get better insight into kind of what jason's feeling in this book and then later in legacy of the force where like he is kind of focused on how his actions are going to affect kind of the galaxy at large and i i do think we don't really know right now the basis for his thinking which makes some of his philosophies i think that's partially why it feels half-baked in my opinion right now uh we will get more of this though more of kind of his thoughts later on yeah, I think he develops more into being afraid of what hit, what the consequences of what his actions could be mm-hmm. for other people as he goes along. Mm-hmm. But from the start, it's more that he's putting the force as being above right. the people. Uh, so he's he's less concerned of what other people do or what happens to other people than the abstract kind of like balance of the force. Mm-hmm. And he, he yeah, does get a, a bit point. more. Uh, a good point. concerned with people as he goes along mm-hmm. and that like that's yeah, why with right. the, with there is the a separation order, there yeah like with the yeah. jedi council thing where he's saying oh this is what you want to subject the jedi to you want to make them you want to uh make them subservient to other people's wants or needs mm-hmm. and yeah doesn't help at right now either that like 
a lot of the is it i forget is it gander that corn's with yes yeah it doesn't help that like the jedi like ganner are just being complete morons right now mm-hmm. like ganner is insufferable in the early parts of this book in pretty much all of this book yeah um, he's, he's almost like going full full dark jedi I'm going yeah. to kill you, Corin. Earlier, yeah, on. exactly. He's literally like, "Listen, if you try to get in my way, I will murder you." Like, yeah, I think he even says that he'll kill him, right? Yeah, and it's he, like, he says he's gonna kill him in a duel. Like, ch- chill out, <laughs> please. Um, so yeah, Ganner is like a not not a very nuanced kind of version of of the anti Jason. Or the anti-Luke at this point. Or sorry, Corrin. Cor- not Corrin. Ganner. Uh, Corrin's fine. But, yeah. Yeah, like, it, it's kind of the thing that Star Wars does a lot where mm-hmm. whatever is supposed to be the bad point just gets, like, elevated by a trillion rather than having there be, like, the a more reasonable disagreement between uh, the more active Jedi or interventionist Jedi versus... Uh, mm-hmm. It's not even that like Luke and Corn are not interventionist in how they want to to handle everything. Yeah. It's that they're just waiting slightly longer. And they're doing a bit recon more. They're beforehand. like responsive. Yeah. 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 And a lot of this book is kind of Ganner realizing that it's not just that Corn is weak and shitty. It's that like oh he doesn't want to act rashly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not that he just never wants to act. But yeah, no, I totally totally agree with that. Um. What was I going to say? I kind of want to move on from this topic because we got a lot to cover. But the one thing that really stuck with me or that really kind of fucked me up is that they spend so much time talking about how sexy Ganner is. And then they they give us the shocking revelation that he's got a goatee, which <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know, man. It's the 90s, early 2000s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you yeah. picture like I pictured Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. When I, whenever Ganner's in, is that where do you go? With I pictured. That? Um, do you know who Ibrahimovic is, the soccer player? I've heard of him. I don't know what he looks like. Z- Zlatan uh, Ibrahimovic. To me, can you look him up? That's exactly how I imagined uh, Ganner. Okay. And Z- Zlatan is like the cockiest. He's like one of the best soccer players ever, and he's extraordinarily cocky. Um, and. I, I just kind it. of pictured him, especially because like okay, they described him looks, as being trim and muscular. So, but Ibrahimovic almost looks like Andy Samberg to the point like I can't see him as being like described as this especially okay. sexy character. Do you not see that? The first image that it might just be the specific image that I'm looking at, but like, tell me this isn't Andy Samberg, you know? Um, I mean, yeah, no, I, I can see it. I can see it, but. Um, before we get off the the Ganner thing, because I think there's really only one more topic to touch on. Do you think it, it gets the relationship between Ganner and Corin progresses a bit too much here? Like maybe it starts from an absurdly dark place and then probably mm-hmm. shouldn't have started where it was. But like, do you think they're a bit too cordial by the end of it? No, I didn't think so. I I, I thought that they spent enough time together and like. I, I think given the fact that Corrin was willing to sacrifice himself for um he's willing to sacrifice himself that I I, th- I think it I think it's fair. Um yeah. I, I I I did think Corrin's sacrifice was kind of stupid though. Because like 
they could have 2v2'd the Vong. And, like, Corrin killed one immediately, so... I don't know. I was kind of yeah. questioning the decision-making there. Well, I think the whole, like, I know the thing was coming. The... Time, yeah. Yeah. But... But still. So they needed to get the people out, and they needed to hold off the Vong. And at this point, they're not really sure, like, what the Vong's fighting capabilities are. Because, mm -hmm. like... From what Corin knows... Corin's scared of 1v1-ing him, and we see yeah. Anakin kill two or three at once. But yeah. Yeah. Like, Corin really only has the experience that Mara had to go off of at this point, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Where she even struggled one-on-one, -on -one, and mm -hmm. I don't know that Corin's as confident in his fighting skills as Mara is, so even him and Ganner having two they individual one-on-ones... They have a little, a little duel later, though. I think next book. The next book's the one with the battle for Dantooine, right? Uh, or battle for uh, Ithor, I mean. Yeah, Ithor, yeah. I, think it, I think it is. Because they I have can't a duel imagine... where Korin uses the dual phase lightsaber against her, and then he uses it against, um, use it against, is it Shadow Shai yeah. fights? Yeah, he fights Shadow Shai for, uh, for... Well, maybe let's not spoil, maybe let's, maybe let's not spoil this part, because it is okay. the next book. Also, I just found a picture of Zlatan with a, a cut, a big cut on his face, so that that's making me feel even more like Ganner. But um, the Ganner. Yeah, the Ganner, the Ganner. Um, but yeah, is, did, you, did you have anything else you wanted, kind of wanted to mention on this point? I, I don't think there's too much else we need to talk about with uh, with Ganner and Corn. Just the, like the whole conflict in the Jedi Order, is something we're going to be talking about a lot. Mm -hmm. There is that meeting at the start, I guess, that we should mention where Lucas kind of brought the entire jedi order together all hundred oh, Jedi yeah. that he's got i was going gonna say on. we know exactly how many they have hundred yeah. how did you feel about that number uh i think it's kind of appropriate like yeah we we get in at the end and this isn't really a spoiler but there's like a list of like every jedi who's at the the convocation later as well and, oh really uh yeah there's a few that aren't named but it's it it doesn't it doesn't jive with the uh, with the side characters we have mentioned in the Young Jedi Knights or the Jedi we see in Jedi Academy. So someone has some answering to do. Right. Where's me, Rotheron? I feel like Where the fuck's Rotheron? Oh yeah, good question. Well, where's I'm I'm concerned about where where uh, Oral is, but we'll talk about that later. Um, I I think about a hundred like fits pretty well 100 active jedi knights and masters and then many more in training yeah kind of how i imagine yeah it. i don't think they're counting um, the the apprentices and everything for that no me neither me neither um what did you think about the uh just quickly i guess because this is kind of related to corn we only get one yuzhan vong uh like perspective scene in this book it's right at the very end it's with shade Shai. did you like that part getting kind of a perspective on them because he like obviously the Vong have a very different kind of sense of honor, mm -hmm. and the big thing for them is like the Jedi didn't bury their dead, and they didn't bury the Vong's dead either. So it's like huge, uh, a huge yeah. disgrace. I think Did you it like does that give us a little epilogue. I guess it was. Yeah, I I think it gives us a, a bit more insight on how the Vong operate because so far we've only really had uh, Yeoman Car who was mostly focused on letting us know that he was, in fact, a Yuzon Vong 30,000 mm. times, or Na Maynor, who's not your most conventional Vong. Mm. So having someone who's a little bit more uh, considered and who's 
laying out a bit more of what the Fong believe and how they're kind of reacting to the war was cool. And it, mm-hmm. it did kind of feel like a, one of the post credit scenes in Marvel with Thanos when they're setting mm-hmm. up for that. <laughs> Where, totally. But, uh, yeah. If it yeah, had been no. the first scene we had from a Vong perspective, that could have been a bit, like, it might have had a bit more impact, but it had already happened. I kind of liked so. it, though, because, like, the, we see a lot more of the Vong in different situations in this book. Yeah. Um, where, especially because, one, one thing I like, too, is I didn't remember that they had developed all of these um, anti-Vong techniques so early on in the war. Like, we already yeah. have the laser shuttering uh, we have the uh, the anti Dovin basal. Um, they use their uh, compensators, initial compensators, to kind of stop the ripping the shields up. So I gotta say, I like that they kind of handle that stuff quickly and like shows that the Republic is pretty responsive. But I, I do also like that we're seeing new things, like the the them finding the the Yuzhan Vong with like the growths that really stuck with me. Um, and Jason almost gets one too in him. And I thought that was a pretty kind of good and disturbing scene. We're starting to learn more about, like, they encounter the embrace of pain and stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of enjoyed having... Because, I mean, especially if you were reading it for the first time, there's still a lot of mystery here. Yeah, I really enjoy throughout the series how there's so much emphasis on, like, the tactics and techniques they develop from repeat mm-hmm. engagements being so important compared to just, like... Oh, look at this shiny new weapon we've built called the uh, Yuzon Vong Hunter that just annihilates them, which they do a little bit with that. But they yeah. there is a lot more of like, okay, this is very strange technology to us and more important than higher ordinance bombs is like, what is it actually yeah. capable of and how does that interact with what we're doing? And there's a bit of that from the Vong as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Especially towards the end where they develop different you know, super warriors and super ships yeah. and whatever. Um I guess the other really big and unique element to this book would be we it's written partially like a traditional Rogue Squadron novel um, where we don't have Wedge until the very end. I really like the scene where Wedge is reintroduced to because yeah. it is a bit of uh, this book would have been really interesting if it had actually killed Corrin. Um, I understand why they didn't, but it would have been it would have been very interesting. Like when, when reading it, they, they do the bit of the Chewy kill fake out. Um, where he he fades, you're in his perspective, and he fades off to black. I I think they even do that, maybe, in the maybe in Wedge's gamble too. I can't remember. Where like yeah. you think he's dead, and then of course he's not. Uh, I was thinking, you know, it would have been okay. Like him sacrificing himself in that way would have been okay, especially I... with the the Wedge. You just you disagree? I I think that wouldn't have been that would have felt a bit too gratuitous. Like coming okay. right on the heels of killing Chewie, like I think they, that's fair. They needed to set up. I, I do agree with Timothy's on to an extent about like there's only so dark you can have it be. Mm-hmm. Where like we just come off of killing. Chewie. I don't like fully agree with him because he didn't think any of it should happen. But mm-hmm. I think killing Chewie was enough that it set up the idea that like it is possible that Corin could have died there. Like mm-hmm. someone probably will die coming forward in this. But mm-hmm. if it turns into okay, Chewie died here, next book Corrin dies, then the book after that is someone else going to die, and, like, do we just yeah. start getting... I think that's the problem that I was kind of mentioning in the Vector Prime episode with how it gets to by Fate of the Jedi, where yeah. it starts feeling like they're killing the characters for the sake of killing the characters and the shock value, and it gets a mm-hmm. little bit too too much. Yeah, I think, I, think, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. 
Um, yeah, okay. I do, I do like, I guess, for me, I guess why, what I liked it with is the pairing of, uh, of, of, um, Wedge coming back. Yeah. Where, like, that's even something like Revenge of the Sith does. A lot of books do it, or, or like, just, just, you know, when there's a sad moment, you immediately have a very hopeful moment afterwards. Like, Revenge of the Sith, I think, after they discover the atrocities that Anakin's have done, and after they've lost Padme, you know, they basically... Uh, Yoda tells Obi-Wan that Qui-Gon's back and he kind of has a secret for him. Yeah. So, like, I really like moments like that. So, I, like I think maybe much, it could have... What's that? Like you very much. He did not. <laughs> yeah. I have a secret for you. I read Qui-Gon's diary. <laughs> thought you were an asshole. He said, fuck <laughs> Obi-Wan. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. Interesting discussion there. Did you like the... Uh, what did you think of kind of the Ganner-led Rogue Squadron um, and... Did you like those portions of the book, the, or were they just Gavin? Meh? Or sorry, yeah, Gavin, Ganner, yeah, Gavin. <laughs> he wishes. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I like Gavin. I like that he we get uh, at least one of the characters from the old books, kind of showing how he's stepping up later, and and here he forged mm-hmm. in the background. But I don't, I don't know that she ever has a speaking part in this. I don't think uh, so. Not in this one. Definitely not in this. But like even going forward, I don't think she has much until yeah. we get to like Mercy Kill or something. Yeah, but. Uh, it, it it was a nice little insert of those old style Rogue Squadron books for at least part mm-hmm. of it without yeah. feeling like it was taking over everything. Yeah. Uh, so I thought it was done really well. And there yeah. there was the thing at the start about uh, Gavin's family and like a tragedy being alluded to with that, whether his wife had died or something. And that just gets completely dropped. Like, oh, really? I didn't never pick up comes on up that. Again. Uh, I picked the, up on them like they'd adopted kids, right? But yeah. And then they'd adopted kids. They had, uh, I think it was Gavin had adopted the kids, married the like adoption agent that had helped him get custody of the kids. And then they'd had a kid together as well. And he was talking about like the happy family hollows. And then he, he said something like about preferring to remember the good times with them. And it seemed like it was being set up for a more... Oh. For a deeper I, didn't pick, I didn't pick up on that to be honest gavin plot i'll see if i can mm-hmm. find the thing but uh i think this was originally supposed to be a trilogy so i wonder if there was more of gavin's mm-hmm. story that was intended to come yeah out i'm just that. looking at i'm looking at her wikipedia page and the, the wife doesn't have any other real appearances outside of there's she's mentioned in edge of victory too um, yeah so but that's I don't interesting think i didn't pick up on that yeah i didn't pick up on that interesting um I also like how they they allude to a seer, but never, you know, they can't name her. Just like speak her name. They <laughs> they named her. Do they? Okay. He he said uh, when Gavin is standing up at the end. Oh, at the very end, you're right. Yeah, he says he still owes Borsk for driving off a seer. Right, but at the very beginning, it's like yeah. he alludes to her. I'm like, I'm just like speak her name, say her name. She deserves that at least. <laughs> yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll see if I can... Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so maybe we should move on to the to the Leia stuff and maybe the New Republic's response. Yeah, so... Go over with. I, I, I like how... So the big problem here, the reason why that kind of combat is even happening is there... It's it's Dubrillian that they're evacuating, right? Lando's planet. Um, yeah. 
and they they have a lot of refugees because Lando had a really big setup on this planet, and unfortunately, there's so many refugees that they just cannot get them very far. They can only make it to Dantooine, um, and basically everyone converges on that point. And I really like the role of of Leia as like she's not trying to strike a devastating blow against the Vong. She's trying to save the refugees. Yeah, and she's kind of brokering help uh, for the refugees as well, and. Yeah, they basically just have to hold off on on Dantooine against the the Vong who know where they are and they don't have much in the way of resources and in the end they don't really win. The only reason the New Republic survives is because so many of the refugees die that they don't have food concerns anymore, which is yeah. kind of dark. That's really dark. Yeah. Yeah, and there's also at the end like the allusion to the fact that the not only do the New Republic know what Leia is saying and mm. still like Po and Nian or whatever his name is, uh, Po, Borsk, Leia, all that whole crew is still they're They're hiding even more information that the more heroic characters don't know about, about possible mm-hmm. operations by Vong elsewhere that mm-hmm. Gavin and Crefay have been able to dig up. Yeah, it's a bit of a slap in the face when like, the New Republic could have routed the Vong at Dantooine if, like, if they hadn't been trying to, um, it, like, if Borsk had been straight up, because there is evidence that, like, the Vong are pretty far in the rim. Yeah. And, like, the New Republic is not in a weak position right now. Like, it's not like the the Thrawn duology where all their ships are in dry dock or being repaired or whatever. Like, they've got ships now. And, Yeah. So it's like it's it's political maneuvering still, and Borsk probably trying to use the situation to gain more power as well. Well, they also hint that uh, so there's the planet that Leia goes to, Agamar, that's kind of leading a lot of outer rim defenses. Kept reading now. it as Adumar, <laughs> if only <laughs> big problem, yeah. But uh, but yeah, like, Farlander though, nice reference. Yeah, everyone gets a nice little name drop. Yeah, but Leia convinces them like, hey, we know you're struggling. If you can help with other. Uh, refugees in the area and with defense if we can make like an outer rim coalition and then Crefay mm-hmm. talks about his own little empire which could have happened as like an outer rim faction of Crefay led mm-hmm. new republic forces mm-hmm. uh, which kind of is what happens but yeah. like the patrol route had been diverted away from what the new republic knew to be the invasion corridor yeah intentionally that would yeah. have exposed them to so like it's a good point. It's not just it's not like just, denialism. It's not just negligence. It's like yeah, active, yeah. Because they so think like, the what do you feel like his like what's his end game there? I guess just to ignore this. Like, what do you think his gain is from that? Because I, I guess I don't really, I don't really know what he's what he's getting from it. It's got to be the assumption that it can only get so bad, and mm-hmm. then like it'll stop. And if it's not bad enough, then no one will care about it. Like. Mm-hmm. doing something about it will bring more attention to it and make it seem like a bigger deal than if they just let the negative impact happen because mm-hmm. like it's always just boiling the frog almost of how bad it gets which like it's ridiculous because we've never seen anyone act like that in real life with any issues <laughs> so I, it's just totally unbelievable that it would happen but i did find the the gavin quote if i'll, I'll read the oh yeah yeah please so uh, and then I, I went away from it. Never mind. 
Uh, you can you can try to find it, but yeah, yeah it's it's I it's kind of reminds me. I I posted a meme like last year. It's like the um when uh what's his name the the uh, Pelion Gaverson Treaty where they're shaking hands and it's like Pelion is the, the Empire and Gaverson's the New Republic and them shaking hands is not giving a shit about the Outer Rim. Yeah. <laughs> It's like that's the one thing everyone in Star Wars seems to have in common: not giving a shit about the Outer Rim. <laughs> um, yeah, because like even when they're up to almost Duro, the New Republic yeah. is still thinking like we can give this up, all right. Yeah. So when it's just like the northern side of the galaxy and a few relatively sparsely populated planets, like maybe they'll stop there, and then mm-hmm. it'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. It's like we're gonna replace these. This one set of ugly aliens in the outer rim with a different set of ugly aliens. Who cares? And those aren't my words, just to be clear. No, you said them. I don't know how mm-hmm. you could try to portray them as anyone's but yours. <laughs> that is how words work. But the all of the all of Leia's political opponents at the start are just seeming like they're uh, cartoon villains at the start. Yeah, Where, definitely. Like, they probably do think Leia is overselling the the threat of the Vaughn. Like, it's in their interest to believe Leia is overselling the actual threat of the Vaughn because it's her that's saying it, so that it's probably just going to be, like, five or six planets that stop out there, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And I, I, I'm, it didn't hand—the last book didn't handle the political intrigue that much better, in my opinion, um, which kind of sucks because— these early stages of what's going on, what's not going on, um, I think is is obviously very important to letting the Vaughn get a foothold. So a bit more nuance might have been good. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I found it again. Okay. Gavin looked up through the image of his family and shook his head. No, Admiral, not at all. He shut off the hollow projector, relieved that the Bothan Admiral's arrival had stopped the cycle of pictures right there at the happy times. So it's okay. not just like oh the galaxy's in danger so my family's in danger it's like some bad shit went down already mm-hmm. and it's probably like she because like his sons are still alive uh, I don't think his wife is alive anymore I think I don't think it ever gets like confirmed that she's dead but there she never shows up mm-hmm. as far as I know yeah but... interesting no I, I I didn't I must have just read over that uh so. I was trying to think with the Chazrak in this, they are portrayed as being kind of having the slave callers as well. And I, in later appearances, I don't think they are, are they? Cause like they have all the, the growths and stuff in this book. And I think in like later battles, they're kind of just, they're kind of just like subservient aliens, right? Yeah. Well, I think they are still, they do still have like the slave coral, but I think with this, there was a lot more effort to set it up as kind of like a, a mirror of episode one where like mm-hmm. that walker the centipede war yeah. master is supposed to be like the droid control ship because this was coming mm-hmm. out at about the same time uh yeah. and then like the Chazrak were kind of the vulture droids and the battle droids that were only able mm-hmm. to function when linked to the to the war master to the droid control ship at that time and then as the war develops they end up being a bit more independently operating but still mm-hmm. generally uh enslaved in some way mm-hmm if not always directly the same way, because it's probably the same. You can probably write it off as the same situation of like the new Republic making adaptations rather than long. No. Okay. We can't always have direct control for everything. It stays a bit more in space because coordination is harder otherwise, mm-hmm. but some of the, 
like full droves of slaves just being sent at them it's a bit less common yeah yeah it was an interesting scene though where it's like the jedi are there there's no chance of them dying basically because they're just on a complete another level but it's like we're slaughtering hundreds of beings right now yeah. and like jane is in a starfighter and like gavin kind of prepares them he's like you guys are gonna have to do some shit like you don't want to do like ground targets they're no chance against a starfighter you're gonna be destroying people by the hundreds so i thought that was kind of a and that's kind of one of those moments that could have maybe used a bit more kind of examination like people killing hundreds and you know yeah. probably worth some reflection well the the whole thing with elagos as well where he says uh like he's a pacifist he has like he's if he kills someone he's ne- it's never going to fade with time it's always going to be mm-hmm. essentially front of mind as intense as it was the moment it happened and he talks mm-hmm. about how he's willing to make that sacrifice because like it, it might save other people from going through the same thing and it has to stop somewhere but like we get that up front but then there's no reaction uh like that's kind of just the end of it there's mm-hmm. no later reaction there's no struggling for him with it it's just this is a thing we're told will happen and then that's it's not examined at all yeah 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 well said um anything else you really want to touch on i'm just looking this book really uh i think this is the book where anakin starts being portrayed as like the the next great one because yeah. he he has that like he's he seems like the most Luke has a pretty badass moment too. And one thing they do in this, they don't really do it anything else is showing like Luke just so physically exhausted after using the force. I don't think other books really pick up on that to the same extent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this one really seems to paint Anakin as like the, 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 the next one after Luke. Yeah. I, I kind of want to try to see if we can pinpoint where the other decision is made that we alluded to. <laughs> Or that yeah. we outright mentioned last time, but I don't want yeah. to repeat it for now. But mm-hmm. uh, it, it, we'll see if we can figure that out. Just yeah. on the on the force thing that you mentioned earlier, of like the them using the force to like shield themselves from the heat in future books versus mm-hmm. the talking here about like oh you don't want to overuse it. That's a thing that like Timothy Zahn and Michael Stackpole do a lot. Where yeah. I Jedi and his chat with Mara are basically just how upset Corin and Mara are with how much Luke is pulling on the Force and how that's kind of where the dark side starts. Yeah, a lot of books also do this thing where like they create a new rule about the Force that yeah. like Luke figures out by the very end of it, or the main character figures out, and then is either completely dropped or is you know brought to a, a like a pretty. A pretty unimportant position like there's i'm trying to think of other examples but the, the best one probably is kind of how luke's relationship with the force changes through the theron duology um but yeah there's lots of the kind of oh the force is this oh we learn this especially like the bantam books will do stuff like that like luke will learn some technique or something and then it's kind of just like you know it's back to how things were we, yeah, we, we do go from like, oh, the real strength in the Force is knowing when to call on it. It's not that like mm-hmm. relying on it that much or drawing from it that much is usually a bad sign versus mm-hmm. uh, by the end of even the Vong War, it's like people are turning into brilliant balls of pure Force to <laughs> <laughs> literally shred someone. <laughs> <laughs> And then yeah. you get like the intentionality is the real problem. So 
Uh, you don't even have to call it Electric Judgment anymore. You can just call it Force Lightning and it's all Gucci. Uh, did you get the... There's a bit of hinting at the Vong sense here as well. Where... So the big thing about the Vong, for those not reading along with us, is that they can't be sensed in the Force. One thing I like that Anakin does that the other characters haven't really... And I had Anakin Force in my notes. I was trying to figure out why, and I just did. Anakin does the smart thing that the other Jedi haven't picked up on really... That you can't use the force directly against the Vong. Like, you can't really pick a Vong up with the force, especially if you're Korinhorn. But what you can do is hit them with a rock. And that's yeah. what Anakin does. He takes one out with a giant rock. Um, and I think the Jedi <laughs> are so shocked. Like, he literally just yeets a fucking stone at one and crushes it. And I think a lot of the Jedi now are so kind of taken aback by the fact that they can't feel the, the Vong. That, like, they're forgetting... There's all of these other force powers, you know, that they could be using, yeah. like lightsaber throw, or we get a bit of it in this book where, like, the absence, it's like it's like the exception that proves the rule. Everyone's scared except for these two. These guys are Yuzhan Vong, or I can sense yeah. everyone in the force, but these two. Um, so, like, and that's just something we get. Like, I believe in one situation, someone like compresses the force around one of their neck as like a way to get a lot get around the the force choke and i think jaina has something with um doesn't doesn't jaina manage to force lightning one of them as well um uh, so i think so yeah so i've i've wiped most of dark journey from my memory i don't think mm -hmm. intentionally i just i always <laughs> forget it when i'm yeah but yeah. Uh, we should probably get to some questions, so... The only thing I'll say is, where's Oral? He's gone. Uh, he's he's alluded to in this book at the very I end. I think he's retired. He must be retired. He made it. He made it, ladies and <laughs> gentlemen. He survived Rogue Squadron. Uh, I think there was an intentional thing in, like, the Thrawn duology where his Rogue call sign gets a line and it's clearly not him, so he was either uh, retired or dead even by then. So okay. that's... And, oh yeah, the other big thing that we'll just mention briefly, because it's going to be important, and I actually quite like how it happens. Jaina gets, Rogue Squadron takes some losses in their first proper battle with the Fong. They're pretty successful, especially compared to Kip's dozen, um, or dozen and, dozen and one. But, uh, Rogue Squadron takes two losses, I believe, in the first battle, um, and then they end up having to recruit people from Dubrillion, I, I think, or maybe... Maybe they're on... Uh, well, anyway, they end up recruiting people and Jaina is the best flyer they have. So this begins her kind of... Uh, her joining a rogue squad in which she's a part of or not a part of throughout kind of this entire series. Yeah. I think two-thirds of the squadron has died over the first two months of the war, they say. Do you, uh, do you like the space battles in this book? We get a couple. Um, so we, we see the first proper Yuzhan Vong capital ship, the uh, the Midroik, I think it is, which is kind of like their version of a Star Destroyer. It even says as much. They're like, this yeah. is the Star Destroyer. We also see a Bothan Assault uh, Cruiser, or Bothan Assault Frigate, which is a ship that I quite like. Um, and it's basically like the New Republic's new version of a Victory Star Destroyer, which at one point also fires, or fights alongside a Victory Star Destroyer, so that was fun. Yeah. The the space battles feel a little bit rushed so far. There are some really yeah. good ones coming up, but it's basically just like, end of the yeah. book, gotta yada yada it. That was especially too in true in Vector Prime, but here's yeah. One. The only thing that I really liked was Jaina has a moment where she kind of like goes uh, Luke in the trench run and fully like gives herself to the force and she I think she fires like a proton torpedo down one of like the apertures of the mm -hmm. 
the uh, midroik that's like shooting the, the the shooting the spitballs out. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty cool moment. Um, but yeah, other than that, we get them we get them fighting some some of the transport ships and stuff. But then the 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 only real capital ship battle we get is the end where the victory and the uh, Ralroost show up and they kind of just scare the midroik away. But it seems like th it, that ship was kind of given it to them. So that ship had sailed. Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of falls up like for being the first real combat with a Vong capital ship we see, it falls apart mm -hmm. super easily. Yeah. That was kind of what my disappointment there was, but Really? I, I felt like it was kind of given it to the Ral Roost though. because um, like its shields were almost down and the uh the commander was like, if we take I'm not liking the idea of taking one of these uh Yeah. Taking they... one of these plasma shots they do say the dovin basils were exhausted from the interdiction field so it couldn't really do both mm -hmm. so they they do give it out there but it was a little bit anticlimactic for yeah for it does just run away, away. Yeah. yeah especially after we got the the first capital loss of the new republic was to like a swarm of coral skippers basically instead oh the star destroyer yeah 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 but yeah, I think I guess that's pretty much my thoughts on the book. Do you want to give a rating? Did you enjoy this one? I guess first of all, did you enjoy this one more or less than Vector Prime? And then let's give our ratings. Uh, I I think they were close to the same for me. Maybe just a little bit more, but I think I'm. Mm -hmm. We do need to give our Vector Prime rankings as well. I think I'm going to put both of these at B, Vector Prime and Dark Tide Onslaught. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give Vector Prime a B as well, but I'm actually going to give this one an A. I, I really enjoyed okay. it. Um, I I was actually, for a while, for the first 30 or 50 pages, I was all in. Uh, I haven't read this book for a while, and I was fully all in. Uh, I thought Michael okay. Stackpole wrote the Vong War so well. I, I really like how he used all the characters. He, he used the characters perfectly, besides for kind of what you talked about, or the really good point you had about how they could have used kind of some more time to reflect on what they did. Totally agreed, but I really like the setup that he, he did, and I like how as everyone was used well. So I was actually, for a while, thinking this is going to be a high A, a low S, but it definitely gets a bit weaker, but for me, I think still an A. I really enjoyed this one. Cool. I Oh, there we go. I've been trying to open the, the tier list so I can properly put them in. <laughs> uh, so that's Vector Prime and Onslaught. Yep. So and for those you, listening on the podcast, if you check the show notes, there'll be a link to the uh, the, it sh the tier list should be updated by the time you guys check. But you can see all of the books we've read so far, and yeah, helps so put this one into perspective. That's two B's for me, and an A and a B for you. Yep. Very epic. All right, so we're gonna try to get to as many questions as we can um, from both this week and last week. So we might. Try to, some of these might end up being a bit shorter. If you want more detail or if you have any questions or comments or anything, the email is tapcaftransmissions at gmail.com. All right. And there, there were a bunch of emails from the last few weeks, but we did cover a good chunk of what people asked in certain ones. So I'll try to okay. focus on the ones that we haven't really addressed. Mm -hmm. Um. So the first question that we'll cover is actually about Kenobi. Ooh, so okay. do you think oh, there's yeah, a chance one. that Kenobi show will end with him learning to be a force ghost by going on a similar journey to what Yoda did in the Clone Wars? 
And also, are we going to try to read through Kenobi before the show, the book? That's the John Jackson Miller, right? Yeah. Kenobi. Um, I I think we should, yeah, try to read through it. I don't think the show's going to have enough time for him to go on the the spirit journey at the end, though. I, yeah. I think he, I think they'll probably. I would I would be more surprised than not if they couldn't get uh, Liam Neeson in his Qui Gon. Liam Neeson does a lot of acting um, for like a lot of kind of lower budget action movies even so i'm sure star wars if they really want him they can get him and i just i think i i think that's how we'll we'll get it i don't think yeah. he's got to go on a spirit journey or anything yeah i don't think there'll be anything super intense about it just like maybe some meditation maybe some qui-gon showing up but... do you think qui-gon's gonna show up if you if you had to bet on it would you say yes or no yes okay unless disney's like blacklisted uh Liam Neeson, but I don't think they have. Did he do something? He he said some stuff. Okay, I'll, I'll look into it. <laughs> uh, I don't remember exactly what it was. It was a little while ago, but uh, isn't there something about Liam Neeson like constantly pissing himself? <laughs> I I don't I'm gonna, know. I'm gonna Google that first. Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson's unapologetic pants pissing a thread. Huh. Interesting. Uh, okay, we, we we need to get through the questions. Okay. So the next one then. Damn, he does piss himself a lot. <laughs> uh, next question is from Seamus, who says, this email is a sort of follow-up from what I sent you a few months back about how your perception and opinions on Star Wars are influenced by the out-of-universe contacts surrounding them. Uh so my question is, what are some works, either Star Wars or not, that you feel went into their, that you went into without any expectations, and how do you feel that impacted your enjoyment of those works? She means Star Wars or just in general? Uh, Star Wars or others, like anything where you went into without expectations. And I've got a very clear it. example of that. Not, I can't think of one right. Star Wars related. Actually, MedStar was one Star Wars related that I ended up really loving. And Ronin, but uh, for me, it was the movie Annihilation, which I wasn't... I didn't know anything about. My buddy was like, you want to go see it? And it ended up totally blowing me away. So that's a movie, too, where I was really happy that I had no clue what was coming. So I think... Uh, I think the NJO is almost that for me, where, like, for a lot of people, the conversation around it was always like, oh, this is so different from the Star Wars that came before it. So uh, that's why mm -hmm. some people don't respond to it as well. Yeah. But then for me, it's like uh, this kind of was my first Star Wars expanded universe experience. So mm -hmm. I don't have I almost go the opposite direction a bit to the Bantam stuff. Mm -hmm. So I was helped by that. Maybe did I misunderstand the question? Uh, I I don't think so. Okay. Like you, right. it, it was both within or without Star Wars, and you went into okay. it without any expectations. How do you think that impacted your okay. enjoyment of those works? Yeah. Like, I think if I had gone in having read a bunch of people say that, uh, or like having heard what people said and having read other stuff, I would have been probably a bit more down in it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the nice thing, not to not to brag, but about being like a YouTuber. Or like if we get a book early or like uh, like Halo Infinite, I got to play early and I was like, it's really nice going into this and like not knowing whether people think this game is shit or not. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that's another one where like I 
just ignore i just like mute halo on twitter and then there you go mm-hmm. yeah uh i wish i'd gone into the halo show without any other can i give can i give one spoiler about episode three have you seen it yet i haven't no right. okay it's a very light spoiler but you see master chief's butt wow okay sorry i'm shocked uh, next I made question. my I made my video for the episode three th- episode three review. My channel. We need to talk about Chief's ass. That was the video title. <laughs> <laughs> my partner manager on YouTube emailed me today for an unrelated reason. I hope they don't see that. Anyway, let's continue. Uh, Alphabet. So this is from Ian, who says Alphabet Squadron established that in canon, the New Republic seemed to set a hard line in how they dealt with Imperial defectors. The first Alphabet Squadron book was set like six months after Endor, and by then the New Republic seemed to have decided that they had everyone worth having from the Empire. Do you think a similar mm-hmm. policy existed in Legends in regards to Imperial Defectors? And at what point do you say that anyone that left the Empire was there by choice? I never really get the feeling that they had a hardline stance. I just don't think there were any real rush. Like, because we did get a look at that um, that place in Alphabet Squadron uh, where Erica is. And yeah, there are still people coming. And I, I don't think that they were going to say no or even lock them up. I just, you know, yeah. it doesn't seem like there were any r- real hurry to get the meta there yeah like i think operation cinder is kind of a big dividing point from canon to legends and how that Mm -hmm. goes where like it's not just like anyone who is still affiliated with the empire in any way is going to immediately be locked up it's that with sin with the stuff in uh in new canon there's a bit of an there's an escalation for what the empire diehards are still doing yeah. to the point that anyone associated with that is it pretty much irredeemable at that point mm-hmm. like there's uh and they still get like Erica coming out of it but yeah. in legends usually you see some of these individual cells that are doing the the more horrible stuff while the rest mm-hmm. of the empire almost slowly liberalizes not yeah a ton and we've complained a bit about how that gets treated but yeah they, i mean like pelion is basically a good old new republic boy at the end so yeah like they're and there probably would be towards the later stages of new canon like we see the new republic stops prosecuting the war uh, mm-hmm. entirely disarms like there there is a certain point in both where it's just like okay, war's over now war's yep. over and so yeah yeah um we also see like a bit of they cover that a bit in bloodline too which we'll eventually read that book and we can talk about that more then yeah uh justin asks given all the minor factions and species that get wiped out by the vong i'm curious does that happen to the nogri I'm... uh n- no we we didn't talk about that but we do see uh Bolifar get killed yeah in a kind of sad moment and that is mm. the you know that is it's it's just to show how powerful the vong are basically because yeah. one a vong like accidentally kills a nogri and there's been like at this point a decade of books talking about how sick the nogri are so that's kind of like an oh shit moment um they say like multiple times in this book like the Vong are even worse. This is going to be the biggest challenge we ever faced. <laughs> yeah. um, but I don't think the Nogri get wiped out. No. No. If the rule in NJO is the Nogri that are with Han and Leia get wiped out, but the Vong don't really make it quite that far southeast, I don't think. So Hanager, it, it's been through enough. Well, aren't most of the Nogri on... Or um, no, they were on Wayland now. But Wayland, yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't think Wayland gets taken. Somehow I imagine the too, like the the Nogri would have. Some of the Nogri probably made their way into like wherever Galactic society. 
Yeah. Yeah, because we see I forget the one that we see in uh, the the Thrawn duology with that old woman. I forget. Is that a Nogri they know? I can't because like. He's kind of just serving as her yeah. as her bodyguard, right? Well, that's so. like people who are working for because Card had an agreement with the Nogri, and then they kind of go into other people's right. employment through right. that. So right. I don't I don't think the there probably wasn't enough Nogri left to wipe out, but I, I don't think yeah. they get yeah hurt too bad, other than the ones that are with Han and Leia. Yeah, maybe disproportionately because they're fighters, but yeah. All right. We probably only have time for one or two more questions this week because we we're leaving Ilkin waiting for the next stream already. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, he's not in the channel yet, so we can. Yeah, we've got ten minutes. We said we said nine forty-five or eight forty-five. Sorry. Yeah, but I told him to get in around eight thirty-five. Oh, okay. So, uh, but Justin's other part of his question was: Vector Prime is the first book I entered. Uh, I ended reading, got it through my school library. Then my dad gave me his books, which is far the NJO had. Uh, Star by Star, Balance Point, Unifying Force, and whatever the last book is named. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, are there any central points that I end up missing having only read those books or no? And I kind of want to tie this to another question about being able to jump into the NJO from, or jump into Star Wars from the NJO. Because I think there's some similar points there. Honestly, a really good comparison would be The Bad Batch. Can you read The Bad Batch without... Or can you watch The Bad Batch without watching Clone Wars? Yes, but you're going to miss some of the context. Yeah. So, like, I'm... I think if you want to listen along with this podcast, that's probably a good way to do it, because we're going to be talking about a lot of that stuff. Like, if you want to read NJO, the abridged edition, you'd probably want to read Vector Prime... Maybe Dark Tide. Oh, that's what he was asking. I thought he was well, asking. Well, there, there's about... kind of two questions. Like, you answered the second part of it, which was okay. from someone else's question. Like, can you get into Star Wars through the NJO? And this is more like, are there parts of the NJO that, like, by reading Balance Point, Vector Prime, uh, and the kind of end stuff, uh, do you miss anything? And you do miss stuff, but I think you can mm-hmm. get by with Vector Prime, Dark Tide, uh star by star or destiny's way star by star and then the last two books like the others have a lot of important stuff but you won't be super lost if you read those they kind of do a good enough job of making everything standalone Mm -hmm. and then for the yeah i'm gonna yeah i'll definitely i haven't read them all for a while since now so Corey's definitely you read them all last year right yeah and i when i started i read like star by star first I don't think I'd mm-hmm. read anything before Star by Star for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I just read like Balance Point, Unifying Force, and uh, whatever the other one is. Final Prophecy. Yeah. Regarding what to read beforehand, I'd say the short version of that would be Thrawn Trilogy, Jedi Academy Trilogy... Thrawn duology and I'd say like at least honestly I don't think you need to read all four X-Wing but the first one at least because like that introduces the characters and whatnot but yeah yeah and maybe I mean I would read something with the kids in it as well so like Corellian trilogy or like a lot of these so like for a lot of people who don't want to like who who are reading for the sole purpose of getting to NJO do the abridged audiobooks they're three hours long they're not a yeah. great way to get the stories for their own sense, but yeah. But I think like the way it's all written, even uh, up to and including the NJO, 
you can read any of the books individually and they mm-hmm. give enough context for what's going on that yeah. like you may not appreciate the importance of every individual part of it but you'll at least understand the plot like you don't want to go into a duology and read just the second book of it but if you're reading like dark tide and isolation you'll yeah, understand they're fully aware that on. like people are going to be jumping like they were definitely fully aware that, that there's gonna be random people just who see star wars and not realize there's a million other books yeah so we didn't get to all the questions uh we can we got through a good chunk of them we can uh come back to some of the other ones later because I, I tried to cover any that were like time sensitive there are a few that are mm-hmm. like related to themes that go on throughout the njo as well mm-hmm. related to the jedi order so we can definitely get to some more of those next time uh or if not next time on the next uh book review which will be in two weeks there mm-hmm. is actually a programming note for that normally we do these live every thursday uh justin is going to be away so we're going to pre-record the episode for two weeks from now mm-hmm. so the it'll 21st. still release on the 21st no but... it'll release on the it'll release later it, it, like oh you mean on youtube it'll release yeah the like the, the yeah, yeah, yeah. live stream version of it will still go up on the 21st as a yeah, YouTube right, premiere sorry. and then the audio oh, okay. version of the episode will probably be a little bit later uh but yeah, you might be need able to edit to that one. Harass us and chat at that or point. actually, I probably will be able to. But yeah, and then I think next week, the week after that, we'll have to see. It we might have to be back, pushed back a couple of days. But for audio listeners, not much to change. But if you're used to watching them, yeah. But I think that's all the time we have for today. Anything you want to say before we head off, Corey? Uh, yeah, we'll figure out what we're doing next week for the actual topic uh, yes. at some point, and we'll probably tweet that out. Uh, we don't want to go too deep into all NJO all the time. We will cover Invasion, mm-hmm. but we're going to do that later, the comic books. Uh, yep. So we will get to that. We will get to the short, short stories when they come up. Next week will be something else, maybe Halo, maybe something different. It's going to be all about Chief's ass. But thanks for watching, guys. Thanks for listening. And just a reminder, if you guys did enjoy the, the product that we're putting out there, consider leaving a like or the five stars, whatever podcast app you're on them. I think most of them use stars. Um, if you can leave a comment it really really helps as well um, other than that we're going to end here with viewer of ours Lewis took two of our favorite reviews did a dramatic reading of them I'm going to link to his YouTube channel in the show notes but he gave us permission to play the audio version so enjoy that guys until next time see you later Hello there. It's been a while. Welcome. Today, we have two reviews of the Tapcalf podcast. Let's have a read of them. This is entitled Fence Sitters Trash Star Wars Legends, a one star review. I just listened to their Truce at Bakura review. First episode should be a good idea of a podcast. And, by God, I've not seen such disrespect for old Legends canon since The Last Jedi. Eckhart's Ladder, I recognize, who does fact videos for both Legends and Disney canon. And I have to say, the guy should stick with facts because his opinion is insulting. 
I should have turned the episode off right when he called Luke an incel. Should have been the red flag right there. But I stupidly continued listening. I couldn't make a joke about how their Disney check is coming in the mail, because I honestly know both these guys are fence-sitters that try to appeal to fans of both Disney and the old legends. But I can tell you that they've got no respect for legends, or the characters, and seem to have forgot in all their hashtag 2019 mockery of a book that was written over 20 years ago, that it was written by a woman. Seriously, don't listen to this podcast if you value your memories not being trod on by hipsters. Well, that certainly was quite the animated review. This review by <laughs> is a one-star review entitled The Corellian Trilogy. The Corellian Trilogy, timestamp 1 colon 14 colon 25 dash 1 colon 14 colon 35. How dare you? I don't care what your problem is with the crown. To suggest that Elizabeth is a Nazi is insulting, insensitive, and disgusting. She was a veteran that served during World War II, serving as a driver and a mechanic, and I have no doubt she lost many dear friends to her during that time. When the bombs were falling on England, she didn't run. She put on the uniform and served her... breaking character now oh god I'll be right back when the bombs were falling on England she didn't run she put on the uniform and served her country just like countless others she is a veteran who deserves respect who stood up to tyranny even at the young age of 19 to call <laughs> to call any veteran that served in World War <laughs> to call any veteran that served in World War II a Nazi is the greatest insult you could say to them. Each and every one of them stood up for democracy, for liberty, and for their loved ones, <laughs> and for their country. <clears throat> for their country. So I say again, how dare you? And just a few days after Remembrance Day. I don't care if you were saying this is a joke. This, there is no time place. It's not even that funny. I don't know why I'm laughing. There is, there is no time or place to call a veteran without words. Shame on you. Shame on you, I can't laugh.